What's up, everyone? I'm Dub Jellison, and I'm here with a very special guest today, Bernard Pollard. Bernard, thanks for thanks for coming on. It means a lot. Hey, man. Thank you for having me. Oh, for sure. You know we got to wrap that bull in America Nation. Um, yes. So so how have you been handling this whole um, COVID-19 pandemic? Um, where, where, where are you, actually? I never I never asked that. You know what? I'm actually in I'm in Nashville. And uh, yeah, so I'm it's 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 going down. It is what it is, I guess. <laughs> um, how's it kind of impacted you and your family? Like, how have you guys um, um, done things differently? You know, it's uh, you know, D, I've always been a uh, I've always been a germaphobe. So I think, you know, when you look at everything that's kind of going on, I've always been the one when the kids come in the house, they wash their hands. We wash our hands. Uh, I don't allow shoes in my house. I, uh, dude, I'm, so I'm, I'm kind of that, that germaphobe, clean freak, neat freak. Uh, anyway, so I, it doesn't really change anything for us. I, I, I think the, since it really doesn't change as far as in home, but as far as going out, it kind of, you know, wearing the mask and, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a shake hands, uh, type of dude where I, you know, I'm a close talker. I'm a hugger. And now all of a sudden it's just that thing where, you know, now we have to, you know, dap elbows or, you know, bump it up or whatever. So it, it's, it, it takes some getting used to, but I think at the end of the day, man, you know, I'm hopeful that this thing is, uh, I've talked to a few doctors saying that the strains weren't as strong as they were uh, in January. So I'm hopeful that this thing is freaking dying down so we can get back to normal, our, our normal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully it's it's dying down. I know there's a lot more cases just because people are out and about. They're kind of sick of being at home. But yeah, I don't think it's I mean, obviously, I'm not a doctor, but I don't think it's as serious as we as we um, anticipated it would be. So I think that everything will be back to normal um, within within a reasonable amount of time. Um, but you also have a uh, it's kind of like a training business. Is that the right way to say it? <laughs> yeah, man. So. I train a lot of uh, DBs, whether, you know, uh, middle school, uh, grade school, middle school, high school, college uh, and pro. Uh, So I run that. So it's uh, yeah, I I do that with B Pollard uh, or BP training and uh, BP 31 training, I should say. And uh, I I am uh, I love training. I love teaching the game, coaching the game the the right way. Uh, I am a I'm a strict uh, coach. I'm in your face. I'm a yeller. I'm not a cusser. Uh, but you know, I do that, man. This is, it's, uh, it's honestly been a blessing for me because I, I get opportunity to kind of, you know, just kind of everything that I've gone through throughout my career, I'm able to kind of instill that and help build talent and, and, and tame talent, uh, out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Did you, like when you were playing, did you think about, um, doing this after you, after your playing days were over? You know what? It's crazy. I actually didn't, man. Um, I, it was, you know, I wanted to be a businessman. Um, I wanted to have my own radio station and, you know, I used to record uh, myself and listen. To, I, I'm a gospel. I listen to a lot of gospel music, but I used to record myself and uh, just talk to myself uh, and record it with cassette tapes. A lot of people don't even know what cassette tapes are, man. Y'all so young, but I did that, bro. And uh, that's kind of what I envisioned uh, for myself. But God had another plan for me uh, and my family. Uh, and so, you know, now I'm you know, doing the training, which, like I said, I love. Uh, uh, we're looking at opening up a facility, uh, sports complex uh, here in uh, Nashville, and uh, and then I got other business ventures that I, I that I'm a part of that I, I just love. Kind of get my hand, you know, get my hands wet, uh, my feet wet uh, to get out there and just learn the business world because the football world, bro, is it, for us 
we're kind of closed off. Like, you know, we don't really know the business side of it. So at 20 years old, I was drafted, you know, at 21, you know, to 30, I didn't know the business world. So now all of a sudden being 35 years old, I'm still out there trying to network because I just didn't know it. Mm -hmm. It's nice to see that um, after your playing career, you've, you've kind of found something that you like to do and you're branching out and trying different things. Maybe one thing will stick better than another, but I think a lot of, a lot of NFL players, um, young athletes need to hear that because you're not going to play forever, obviously. And I think you're a great example of um, trying to find something for after football. Yeah, definitely, man. I, you know, and I, that's that's the biggest thing. I think, you know, when you can find that thing that sticks, you can figure out, you know, put your footprint out there in this world, man. But I, like I tell a lot of people, man, it's a big piece of pie, bro. We all need to get a piece of that thing. <laughs> sure. Um, so how has your training kind of um, been impacted by this pandemic? Like, did you have to take a break or have it has it been more individual work? So I do a lot of individual work. Uh, so, I'm, you know, for, for me, especially and I tell a lot of parents, I tell a lot of players, you know, when you deal with me, uh, I, I am a little more expensive. Uh, I'm a little more expensive than your normal trainer uh, just because of my pedigree, uh, my resume. Um, I can teach you things that you don't know. I can I can see things. I have I've had job offers to come and run a scouting department for NFL ball clubs. I've had, you know, college uh, uh, opportunities to be able to go and uh, to be a, a DB coach or to be a recruiter and to bring in talent or to just be able to watch film. And I've turned it all down because, you know, I've, I've spent that time in my life where I've played football in that short window. And uh, I've missed a lot of time, um, you know, missing my kids grow up those younger years for them. And I just want to be able to build my business and just to be able to, uh, you know, uh, just just teach and coach from from this from this standpoint of me, of my life. Um, you know, I love that part of it. And I think, you know, it's good. And as I said before, as I was saying at the beginning, you know, it's an investment, um, you know, so being one on one and having group sessions. I really didn't have sessions bigger than three to five uh, kids. Uh, I knew where the kids were. I knew their parents. I knew they weren't traveling. Um, or, you know, if I had a one-on-one, I, once again, I knew who that kid was. I really didn't take on a lot of new uh, clients simply because, you know, as this thing was kind of at its peak, you know, I didn't want to bring anybody in and then, you know, potentially come back and affect my home. Uh, so I, I had to be, you know, cautious of, of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think you'll ever consider being a, a college coach or an NFL coach in the future, like when your kids are a little older. Man, you know what, D? I don't know, bro. Uh, at, at the college level, I'm gonna be honest with you. It's more babysitting, and so you know, for me, and this is me. I can't speak for everybody else, but I don't want to babysit. I don't want to go into homes uh, for parents and and trying to, you know, sweet talk them or you know manipulate them to allowing their kid or, or helping them persuade their kid to come to that university. Um, you know, so I don't want to be on a roll recruiting. I don't want to do that, you know, so, and that's what it is. Uh, so, um, at the college level, I would love to kind of, you know, if they could create a position for me to where I can step in and I didn't want to be locked down to one university where I can step in and just say, Hey, I can be a, a talent evaluator and kind of help the coaches uh, and the coordinators, the defensive coordinators figure out, OK, why is your linebackers, D-line or, uh, you know, DBs, why aren't they firing the right way? And I think it would be the same thing with the NFL level. Um, you know, just a lot of time away from home, I, I wouldn't want to miss. Yeah, I mean, I can respect that. So you yeah. talked about college football a little bit. Um, 
a big uh, a big story surrounding all the whole sports world is if college football will be played. And I'm I'm optimistic. I'm hoping it'll happen. But I also realize that there's a good chance that it won't. Um, we've already seen a lot of big conferences aren't doing non-conference anymore. They're only doing conference games. Um, so what's your opinion on that? Do you think that college football will be played this this fall? I do. Um, you know, I, I want to see college football. I want to see pro ball. I want to see high school football. You know, I'm 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 the D coordinator for my son's uh, football team, uh, his middle school team, and it's a, a it's you know a 75 percent chance that we probably will get canceled. Uh, so it, I think it's it sucks. Uh, COVID has hit us, uh, and I think it's, it's it's turned a lot of people's worlds upside down. Uh, whether it's a death or it's you know business or it's you know just uh, being sick and, and losing jobs, whatever it may be. Uh, this thing has turned a lot of people's worlds upside down. But you know, I, I think I'm the same as you. I'm optimistic that we'll get an opportunity to opportunity to play. Um, you know, seeing the, the, the a lot of schools or a lot of conferences go to in conference play, I think is smart. And, you know, I think, you know, potentially you can schedule it and, 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 and add more games to games that you will miss uh, with those out of conference games. I think, you know, that hurts a lot of those smaller teams that are getting paid uh, to get the break speed off of them. Uh, that hurts their their, you know, their programs because they're looking forward to that money. Um, every year. And I think, you know, by not getting that, 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 that can be a deal, you know, not a, not a deal breaker, but that could potentially be, you know, their program uh, because that's what they're looking to continue to, you know, to build their facilities or get players in um, at their perspective levels or whatever. But, you know, I want to see it. I, I really do. I want to see football played. I think they will play. Um, I think it's at, at a high enough level uh, to where uh, they can try to control it as much as they can. I do think if there is a crazy spread, um, where teams or players are getting, you know, infected uh, with this uh, virus, I think, you know, we can see two or three games being played and then they just say, you know what, we're canceling this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it's safe to say that you'd probably play if you're. You oh, yeah, playing. I'm playing, brother. Like, you know, it, hey, you know, not to not to downplay anything that has gone on, anybody that have died uh, because of this virus. Um, but, you know, my my job is to play football. My job is is an I'm an entertainer. That's what I am. Right. So my wife knows, uh, you know, I'm going to be careful. I can be careful as I can. But when it comes down to putting them pads on and I got to go run through a sucker, I'm going to go run through that sucker. And so, you know, that's what I want to play football. And if it's my time to go, uh, if the Lord will take me through coronavirus, so be it. You know what I'm saying? And, and I mean, th- that's the decision that I made. And same thing I say with football players, you know, football players cry about this and that. We made this decision to play this game. We knew it was a hard-hitting game. You knew you were wearing a helmet, shoulder pads, and pads for a reason. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, you definitely played like that during your during your career. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I, I, hey, man, I am a, I am a hard-nosed uh, ball player. I am a Jack Tatum, uh, Steve Atwater. Uh, uh, dude, I, you know, Ronnie Lott. That's me. Rod Woodson. I'm a dude that I want contact. That's what I do. And so, um, you know, I made a living doing that. And, and and a lot of people don't get it twisted. I was able to cover ground. I was able to chase people down. I was able to cover cover people. But when it came to hitting or picking off that ball, I chose hitting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm a personally, I'm a Colts fan, and I always I always remembered you. And I was I'm sorry like, to hear that. <laughs> I mean, I have no room to talk, but we the Colts do pretty well against the Titans. Oh, okay, okay. I'm. Not, I don't know. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not like that. Um, <laughs> so 
I wanted to talk about what type of precautions that you think that colleges and at the NFL level that they could put in. Um, I know we're probably not going to have fans at games um, for a while, but what other things, like when they're actually on the field, do you think that they could try to introduce? Well, I think, you know, um, when, when you look at the college level, I think if it's not 95 to 97 percent of college uh, football clubs, they have they're all playing outdoors. So, I mean, th- I will take on this. Uh, I've I talked to a couple of old teammates and, you know, analysts with ESPN. Um, man, put put the, the glass walls at the bottom of the bowl. Put those up. You, you, you're going to stop the contact with the players, that, that, that direct contact with the players. Uh, so I think putting the glass uh, bowls up a- around the bottom uh, or putting the glass walls up around the bottom of the bowl, you know, the yelling and the screaming, if we're playing outdoors, we all understand it's going to go up. It's not coming down. So if we can do something like that, eliminate any pre- uh, pre-game fan interaction, uh, no fans on the football field, um, you, you know, uh, you know, uh, I think we probably should limit the press. Um, you know, as far as press things, keep them outside. Uh, don't let them inside of the locker room. So that way, I, I think that this can be a, a better way to kind of keep it safe as we can. Uh, but still, we're allowing fans in, you know, you know, allowing 30,000 fans in the 65, 70,000, uh, um, uh, 70,000 uh, fan stadium. I mean, OK, what are you doing? OK, they're going to be spread out. But at the end of the day, the product is where the product is on the field. And so if we're outside, I think we have a better chance at everything going up opposed to coming down, eliminated, eliminating the direct, um, um, you know, contact and everything else from fan to player. So it's going to be a little tricky when you talk about dome teams, when you get in the NFL, they got they got more domes. I think Syracuse still playing a dome. But when you talk about NFL ball clubs, the Vikings. Uh, the Saints, uh, the Falcons and, you know, teams like that, you know, of, of course, it helps when you got the, the teams that have they can the retractable roofs. Uh, that's a, a benefit. But it's going to be tricky when you plan with the as far as the indoor uh, uh, stadiums. So would, would your idea be to keep the stadiums at full capacity or would you like to limit them? Why not? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if 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 your employers, uh, your employees are going to come and, and they want to see football, they want to work. Um, it, look, D, this virus ain't going nowhere. I'm sorry. It, 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 I mean, so if people if people say this or say that this is not going anywhere, if if, you, if people think a vaccine coming in two months, they're crazy. If they think a vaccine coming in a year. They're crazy. So at the end of the day, are we going to hide and continue to stay in if we're hearing the strains are getting lighter? Um, you know, yes, it is causing some people to some people are with pre-existing injuries or pre-existing problems. It could potentially hurt you or harm you. Stay in. You know, don't go to the game or, or, or go to the tailgate, whatever it may be. But when it comes down to let us, if the guys are going to play sports, um, let the fans come and interact. As far as taking temperatures and everything else, I don't know if that's going to be suitable for, uh, you know, for that many people coming into a, 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 coming to a stadium. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, it ain't going nowhere. So we either going to hide for the next two years, two or three years, because at the end of the day, when that vaccine come out, bro, I'm not going to be in line trying to get it. Let somebody else get it. We're going to see how, how they uh, respond to it. And, and then we'll, we'll go accordingly. Yeah, I feel I mean, I feel the exact same way. Uh, but I know how the upper the uh, upper management kind of uh, think about things. And I think it's unlikely that we see full capacity stadiums. Right. I agree. But so if, say, like Purdue, for example, we played with with no fans at all 
or very limited fans. So just like the student section and alumni and things like that. How do you think that'll affect the, the on-field play? If it affects the on-field play, that you're not playing with motivated players anyways. Um, I, I said this uh, about basketball players was a couple months back when they were talking about trying to play, uh, finish off the season with no fans. They were saying they didn't want to play uh, without fans. Well, I get it. You know, I'm a player where I feel like fans deserve uh, a, the credit. Fans deserve, you know, more. Uh, they should get more credit than, they, than they've been getting. So but at the end of the day, are the fans motivating me? No, I block the fans out anyways. So if a if a player can't play without fans, and he needs fans in the stadium or the arena, something's wrong. Um, you know, if you're not motivated to go play this game because you love it, number one, you're still in the paycheck. But if you don't play this game, you know, because you love it, number one, that's something wrong. If you need, if you need to be motivated for, for a cheer, yes, that is awesome to hear. A cheer to hear the chants and everything else, that's great to hear. But at the end of the day, it's me against the man across from me. It's not me against the fans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I respect that. I like, I like your attitude about things. Yeah, man. It kind of reminds me play on the field. It's all yeah. out. Oh, I got to, man. I mean, that that's this this is me uh in my early years playing uh career. This is me now in life, man. And and uh, I I just truly believe, bro, like at the end of the day, if you if you are if you're a part of that 1%, you know, that less than 1% that plays professional sports or if you're a part of the college uh, college programs and, and, and you're able to go and, and play sports or whatever, you know, uh, program you're a part of in the college. If you can't play because you love this game, something is freaking wrong. Mm -hmm. So kind of to piggyback off of that, we've seen a lot of uh, recent news about players being paid in college for likeness in their name and um, all that stuff. I don't know, like the inner workings of it. Um, but I wanted to talk about like your your opinion on if student athletes should be paid. You know what, man? Um, yes. I mean, look, I was a student athlete. I was uh, I was a true freshman uh, playing at Purdue. I started my freshman year, started my sophomore year and my junior year. Um, I did things for Purdue, photo shoots, uh, commercials. Uh, you know, I was on, um, you know, billboards. I was in all of it, on it, all of it. They had my jersey out. I mean, Purdue made money on that. Purdue made money on our victories, you know, and so I think if you give a, a player an opportunity to be able to, to make money on his his or her likeness, I think that's fair because the school is making money on it. You know what I'm saying? Like and for a lot of people that say that you're getting a free education. Well, yes, they're getting a free education because you don't know how much money they're about to bring into this doggone university. You know, so I, I get being frustrated with it. Well, at the end of the day, if you want to be a part of that one percent, go work your butt off. Go go join the sport and, and work your tail off to try to figure out how you can get a piece of that pie. And so uh, I do. I believe I, I think that the hardest part is figuring out, because if you let a player make money on his his or her likeness, that just opens up the door for, you know, signings um, at, 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 you know, whether it's uh, bookstores or, or, you know, jersey stores or university uh, stores or whatever it may be. They can make, you know, those they can do that. Um, I think when you come down to paying players straight out of the university's pocket, now you got to figure out, OK, where is the bulk of the money coming from? And then how do we how do we figure out who gets what? What's the you know, what's the standard or what's the ceiling? Is there a ceiling? Does there is everybody on the same level now? You got to say, OK, well, all these different sports 
uh, will, and not, not to downplay any sport, but will golf get as much as football players? Will golf players get as much as football players? Well, if will baseball get as much? Well, we all understand that softball players really don't get scholarships. So are we going to pay them? Because we're already, they're paying for their school. And then, you know, so it's a lot to, to think about for the university. Um, and I get the craziness, but at the end of the day, for a lot of these universities, it's bringing in a lot of money. But I think by doing that, you're going to, they're going to be a lot of smaller universities that go under because they can't, they can't fork out the bill. Yeah, for sure. That's what, um, I mean, I agree with you. I think that a lot of kids should be able to make it off like, like a big topic is the video game, like the NCAA games. Um, they should be able to put their name in there and then make money off of that. Or if, say, like the Jimmy, like at Purdue, there's a bunch of Jimmy Johns. They can go do a commercial for Jimmy Johns and get paid five thousand dollars or whatever the whatever the price is. Um, but I agree with you that the like Purdue paying their athletes wouldn't be smart because then it would just put it would just screw everything up. Um, but I wanted to talk about kind of your your experiences at Purdue. How do you look back on it, and then kind of tying in being paid um, or athletes potentially being paid? What are some of like the stresses or hardships that you went through at Purdue? Man, you know, I'll be honest with you. It was, I had a great time. Um, yeah, we had bills uh, as far as, you know, moving off campus. And I, Coach Tiller did a great job. You know, our freshman year, we stayed at, you know, we, all the football players were in Wiley Hall. Sophomore year, we were, we were uh, all at Hilltop. I don't, is Hilltop still even there? Yeah, it is. Okay, so you, we still got Hilltop. And then um, in the our junior year, we can live off campus. And so I live I forget where I live. Um, had me and Stanford had a house together. But, you know, throughout the summers, we had to stay for summer school, you know. And so we had to, you know, stay into a stay in a house or sign a, a contract for a certain amount of months uh, to be able to uh, do that. And so we had to come up with the money because we, you know, for certain guys, we didn't get Pell Grants or, or things of that nature. So for a lot of guys that didn't qualify, if our if our parents made enough money, then we didn't get it. So our, either our parents had to pay or, you know, we had to find a way to get a job because we can only, I think in summer school, we can only take, um, I think it was six credit, six credit hours, I believe it was. Um, so we took a couple classes, if that, but um, my time was good. Um, you know, had a couple bills here and there. Uh, I think the biggest part, as you you've seen at Purdue, where a lot of people just want to have their cars. Uh, so, you know, for a lot of football players, you know, so, some guys didn't have cars. You know, we just kind of we either, you know, uh, you know, got in a car with another player that had a car or, you know, everybody was just kind of, you know, walking around or on bikes together. But uh, I think, you know, I think you can kind of fix that. I think the universities can fix that if you create a transportation system for your athletes, if it's at every school. And I think some schools have it, uh, but a transportation system for every one of your athletes, I think that would kind of knock off that everybody wanting to get money to get a car right now. You know what I mean? And and for all the other stuff, I think, you know, with the weekend stuff, I, I think we're so far advanced as far as Uber and everything else. People can get Ubers, but at the end of the day, you're going to need money for Ubers. So where does all that come from? I think, you know, going back to players being able to make money off their likeness. I think if you switch that and just pass a law where you can just get money off your likeness, no universities are paying anything. Uh, so I think that's where they're stuck. Are universities going to pay or are we going to get it off our likeness or are we going to have both? Because you're going to have some players that's getting a big chunk of money and the other players are not. And it's going to be like, OK, well, how do we do it? And now if you do that, how are these rosters going to change? We had 101 players, 102 players at Purdue. 
Do you stay at that 101, 102 man roster or do you drop down to like 70, 65, 70 man roster because of the money you forking out? So it's bro, it's a it, it's a big pip. I don't see them. I don't see them selling this thing uh, or figuring this thing out for a long time. Uh, but, you know, when it is, I think it's going to benefit the players. Uh, and, and, and of course, NCAA going to figure out how, you know, they're going to take a bigger piece of pie anyways. Mm -hmm. Another thing that kind of it kind of baffles me, honestly, is I know how much classwork I have and I'm not playing a division one sport. So right. how do you learn to balance all that? You know what? Once again, man, Coach Tiller did an awesome job. You know, he did an awesome job with, you know, we we went to class. Obviously, we had, we had Coach Hagan was our class checker. So he would make sure, you know, for for his uh, his class that he brought in, he would always check or he'll have somebody checking in. Miss Lynn, it was awesome. Miss Lynn is my that's my homie. Uh, her uh, just her presence. Uh, she was my mom. And she, still to this day, she's like a mother to me. Um, she made sure uh, she was a tutor. And she just made sure I knew and understood what was being taught in the classroom. So, you know, me taking notes, I'm a note taker, bro. I got, got pad right here. I always just sit and just take notes on everything uh, because that's just the way I, I learned. I had to I had to hear it. I had to write it down so that it stayed. Uh, so, you know, for a lot of players, um, you know, we did a really good job. I don't. I think we had one guy uh, academically and that was going to fell out. Uh, but other than that, you know, we brought in what? 15, 16 dudes my freshman year and all of us, you know, I stayed three years and everybody else stayed the rest. But um, or Ray Everett and I stayed for three years. And then uh, but other than that, man, he did a great job as far as making sure we understood we had our study halls. Uh, we knew what we were doing uh, in a classroom. But at the same time, when it came down to uh, football and prepping for games and practice and things of that nature, he he had us well prepared. Uh, for 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 both sides because he knew it was a he knew it was a, a you know a, a, a burden um, for us and, and and he we also one thing coach I love about Coach Chiller he did not allow any guys on scholarship to be engineers we had I'm we might have had one uh, John Lambert was the engineer and I think John figured out whoa this is a this this is a low you know what I mean playing football. And then, you know, being an engineer. So I think he ended up switching his major. Uh, but Bill Foran was a freaking brilliant. He was a perfect AC, ACT. Uh, and then he was just smart as all get out. But, you know, he owns his own construction business out there in Texas. But, yeah, man, it was awesome. Yeah, so you kind of mentioned it um, a little bit before. But uh, you're talking about the late Joe Tiller. What kind of person and coach was he for you and your teammates? And how did he kind of help shape the man that you've become today? Man, so D is, uh, if you know anything about me, and if, if you know anything about our relationship, uh, Coach and our relationship uh, when I left, it was uh, it was rocky, bro. Um, you know, our relationship my, going into my junior year, um, going into my junior season, it was rocky. We didn't really, uh, we had a falling out in in in, in camp, and uh, but my freshman, my freshman year, my sophomore year, literally, and still, t you know, as I told him uh, before he passed. Uh, I appreciate him. He was one of the first white men to tell me he loved me, to hug me, to embrace me, to, you know, to be there for me. Um, you know, it was, you know, coming in my freshman year, man, Coach Tiller took me in at literally like his son. Uh, when I came in, it, guys were not able to go in his office. And I mean, just the type of person that I am, the type of player that I am, you know, I when I felt that that connection between him and I, I felt the love, you know, I treated him like he was my dad, you know, and, and I would go in his office and his secretary, 
uh, you know, and all the other players, you know, the older players, student them all look like, what you doing? He's like, you'll get in trouble. And coach would sit there and just talk to me and grill me and just make sure I was okay. Checking my mental to figure out, you know, uh, was, you know, was I there? And so, uh, you know, that was awesome. And, and it was a shame, you know, for everything that happened the way it did into my junior year. And I take, I take blame for that because I could have handled the situation differently. Uh, man, we had a stake in the scrimmage, and I smacked Brandon Jones. He did not get the first down. Coach Chiller said he got the first down, and he didn't. And, I, you know, for players, man, we, we there's an attitude you got to play with, you know, and, and there's a frustration. There's, you know, that, that and, and it's hard to turn that switch off uh, during play, during practice. And I should have turned the switch off. And I didn't. And uh, him and I got to arguing and I told him to give me my transfer papers. I was literally going to transfer from Purdue and sit out a year and then play uh, the next year. But uh, he banned me from the media uh, for eight or nine weeks, I believe it was my junior year. And uh, him and I did not talk from that point after what happened in practice when I walked all the way from the practice fields all the way back to uh, Malenkov. Him and I didn't talk. We didn't communicate Uh, when I left. when I declared as a junior after our last game against IU, I I told him I'm you know I didn't tell him I left and went to Florida to start training for the combine, and him and Morgan Burke sent me a letter and said if I ever came back to Purdue they would have me arrested uh, for trespassing, and so I didn't even do my pro day at Purdue. I didn't I, I never came back to Purdue, and so that hurt me a lot when that happened uh, because our relationship just it just fell apart, and um, but. I got a chance to talk to him. And and I mean, his wife, uh, man, she was she knew she would bring me cookies every freaking Friday and uh, or Thursday. And she knew it was bad. And she would always reach out to me. And Bernard, are you OK? Bernard, 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 y'all need to fix this relationship. And my pride, his pride would not we wouldn't do it. And so, you know, now, uh, you know, before he passed, we got an opportunity to talk. Um, and uh, Arnetta and I, we, we communicated and uh, we communicate still. And it's just I'm glad that we got a chance to kind of, you know, get some closure there. But, yeah, it was a shame the way it all happened, man. But he was he that's that's my that's my dad. That's my white dad. So, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, you played before. What years did you play at Purdue? So I was 03 to 05. OK, so I was I was three years old and then five. Yeah. And, and all that happened. So I I don't really remember a whole lot. I just remember I like Purdue, but I probably didn't hear about that. So <laughs> they really banned you from Purdue. Yeah, I was banned. They told me if I came back, I would be arrested. So literally everybody, all of every. So Ray Edwards, uh, he was me. And him came in our, our, our uh, freshman class. Ray declare, I declare, and uh, Ray did his pro day at Purdue. I did my pro day in Lafayette at Lafayette Jeff High School in 13 degree weather. It was crazy, man. Yeah, man, it was it was crazy. It was cold. Uh, we had 16 teams show up, and I was just angry the entire time. So some uh, some of my teammates came, they watched it, but it was just so cold, bro. So it was it was nuts. So have you? When's the last time you were at Purdue? So, D, it's it's with everything that went on, it was hard for me to come back. Um, they asked me. Uh, Chris Coffin was actually a part of the recruiting uh, process. Um, I ended up seeing Morgan Burke at uh, at the airport in Indianapolis. His wife 
So I was trying to make it past, you know, and I'm I'm big and, you know, big black guy going by. And I'm the only black guy. And I think it was in, in that section of the airport. And his wife called my name and Morgan turned around and was like, hey, you need to come back. He was like, you need to come back so we can see your face. And uh, I just told him, I was just like, man, I'm not ready. And so I think, you know, for me, uh, I think it was um, 2000. I don't even remember what year it was. It was probably it's probably six years ago, seven years ago, I tried to come back. I, I came, I drove on campus, I went to University Hotel, uh, I checked in, I was there, I, I, I was gonna go to the spring game. I could not do it. I got back in my car and drove away. And I, it, it was just, I, because that the hurt was still there on, what, on everything that happened. And, and of course, uh, Coach Tiller was he, was, he was in Wyoming, he wasn't there. And, uh, um, but you know, they had a new coach and I forget the black guy name. I uh, forget his name, but had him. And then Morgan Burke obviously was still there. I just could not, I could not make myself uh, do it. And so a lot of, a lot of my old teammates was like, yo, Bernard, where you at? And, but when, so Purdue played, uh, Auburn, that's the game that we all need to forget, uh, here in Nashville and, uh, the music city bowl, I went to the, uh, to the tailgate and got a chance to see a lot of my older, old teammates. Um, and we had a blast, man, here in Nashville. But it was one of those things, bro, where it was it was just difficult. It was difficult for me to do. Do you think you'll ever come back? Probably not. I don't know. I, um, I know we, Coach Tiller and I fixed it. Uh, but, you know, that's hard to tell somebody to move on. And, and because three years, three good years of my life, uh, I, I blood, sweat and tears at that university. I played my butt off for that school. Um, I, I represented Purdue well. I really did. And, and you know, I'm, I've never I've never been in trouble. I've never been in handcuffs. I've never I've never been close to it. I was not a partier. I didn't go to bars. I, I was a good student. I was a good student and I was a hell of a football player. And uh, I just thought for Morgan Burke and for uh, Coach Tiller to have did that, you know, I forgive. And once again, like I said, I was not an angel. I could have handled it differently. Um, you know, I do. I do need to come back. Uh, the head coach have reached out uh, to do the new uh, some, you know, new people in the, in, in the program have reached out to me. Uh, so I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to make myself come, man. But we'll see. Well, you got to let me know when you do so we can we'll, meet do. <laughs> we'll be happy to have you back for sure. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to transition to your pro career. Um, you played nine seasons in the NFL. Uh, your last season was 2014, I believe. Yes, sir. 2014. Um, so how do you think growing at Purdue helped you in the NFL? And then also, I mean, your upbringing. You know what? It, it was awesome, man, because, you know, I got an opportunity, you know, playing under Coach Spack and uh, Coach Anarumo, Phil Amation, my freshman year, who was my um, um, DB coach, and then Coach Anarumo uh, coming in my sophomore and junior year. I just literally talked to Coach Anarumo like two hours ago, and him and I talked to this day. Coach Hagan obviously at IU, um, but you know, playing under Coach Spack, man, I was able to learn. And, and as a freshman, playing with Nico Kudavides, playing with, um, you know, playing with Stu and and playing with Gilbert and Landon uh, Johnson and, and John and all these dudes, man, I was like, oh, snaps, you know, uh, you know, I was able to learn from these dudes. I was able to understand the game and be taught the game. You know, being with Stu, man, I was. Bro, we were watching film as a freshman. Uh, I just turned 18. We're literally in the film room and just grinding it out, making calls and figuring out how we're going to do this or do that. And that team, my freshman year in 03, bro, 
we were a hell of a football team. You know, we were, you know, dude, we were really freaking good. And if Orton would not have freaking, no, that was, was that, that was my sophomore year. If he wouldn't have fumbled them freaking footballs, <laughs> losing to Wisconsin, oh my, bro, dude, you, you taking me back, bro. But, you know, just that, that that right there, being in that atmosphere with those with those dudes and coach being taught by Coach Back was just freaking awesome, dude. It was awesome uh, to help me because uh, when I got to the league, I was able to understand the defense. It didn't matter to me. Uh, what they put in. Uh, I was under, I understood how to study. I understood how to take notes. Once again, taking notes. Um, I knew how to do all of that. So for me, bro, it was, uh, it was an easy transition. I didn't struggle uh, at all. Like I said, I was never a partier. I think coach Hagan, we had a sit down coach Tiller and I had a sit down when I first got there. And I mean, I've never been a drinker. I didn't taste liquor until I was, I think 22, um, didn't ever smoke. So, I mean, I just, that was never anything that I did. So that was made, that made it easier with the transition. Um, I was able to, you know, I was never, I didn't have to use alcohol or smoking to, to cope with anything. I just dealt with all of my situations and, and figuring out I had to work through the adversity. So that's what I was taught at Purdue, man. And it helped me in the league. Mm -hmm. So over the course of your career, you got to play in a Super Bowl. And you ended up winning that Super Bowl with the Ravens in 2012. Um, is it safe to say that that's kind of the pinnacle of your career right there? <laughs> you know what, D? It, uh, playing in the Super Bowl, bro, I'll be honest with you. I've never, ever thought that I would be a Super Bowl champion. To be perfectly honest with you, football wasn't, it wasn't the sport that I even wanted to play. Um, I played football because I was good at it and I didn't have to be home. Uh, my father and I fought every Friday night after a football game. Um, so I didn't want to be home. I didn't want, I, I, you know, so being at practice, staying after school, I just played because I was good at it. And, you know, I knew right around my sophomore year of high school, I knew I would be able to go further and play. Uh, so I was just like, okay, well, I guess, you know, I'll just play football. And if they offer me scholarships, so scholarships started coming in right around my sophomore year, junior year, and I was just getting better and better and better. And, you know, I just made a decision to stay in Indiana. I knew because I said, okay, well, I play. So if I'm going to play, I might as well go to the top level. So I was, I literally, I, I don't know if you guys did it, but in eighth grade, we had to write time capsules. And I was that good of a player where I wrote a time capsule in eighth grade and we had to bury it. And then so after you graduate, you go back and get the time capsule, you dig up the time capsule or whatever. So our, our group, you know, some kids from my middle school that we went to high school together, they dug up my time capsule. And I said in eighth grade, you know, I'm going to be at Florida State University for three years. And then I'm going to play quarterback, be drafted in the first round. Well, I ended up going to Purdue playing safety for three years and was drafted in the second round. So it's just one of those things, man, where, you know, football just was there. I didn't ever think I would be able to be the best or, you know, be one of the best to get a Super Bowl ring. But it was truly a blessing, man, uh, and, and and truly a, a great accomplishment in my career. Um, but, you know, you know, it's just I, I look back at it. And I'm just looking like there's been so many football players that have played in the National Football League that did not not, not let alone win. They didn't make it to a Super Bowl game. Some of them haven't even ever seen a playoff game at that. So, you know, for me, I'm like, man, this is truly a blessing. Mm -hmm. What do you think made that team so good? Because, I mean, you guys were dominant through the playoffs. I think you knocked us out, the Colts, in the, in the wild card round. Um, what do you think – trying to think of how to say it. Do you think it was more of the players? Or I know you kind of had a couple issues with Coach Harbaugh. But um, do you think 
Do you think the culture of that, especially with the defense, do you think that culture kind of led you guys to that Super Bowl win? So, the, the, I tell a lot of people, they built that in 1996. 19, and they started in 1996, but culture started to come around for the Baltimore Ravens. Ray Lewis was a part of it. Phenomenal teammate, phenomenal player. Um, we were a no bullcrap club. We we took bullcrap from anybody. And so we had each other's back. Um, in 2011, we ended up losing to the Patriots. Uh, but I remember when we went into the locker room, guys were pissed off, missed a field goal, you know, dropped past end zone. Uh, and ended up losing uh, whatever, I forget the score, losing like four or whatever it was, uh, three. Lost by three to the Patriots. We said, we're going to be back here and we're going to beat the piss off, beat the piss out of them next year. And, you know, we just had that mindset. And I think, you know, when I look back at this that team, I was the final piece that they needed uh, because they were a dominant team before me. They've always, the Baltimore Ravens have been a defensive ball club, they've been a dominant ball club. Uh, and they were just physical. Uh, but now, for me to bring me in to be that piece where I communicated, and I was Ed and I, we, we we didn't miss a beat. You know, I was able to help him, him help me. I was able to be that piece to kind of plug in on the defensive side of the ball that kind of got us over, got us over the hump to, to finally make a splash in the playoffs and go to Super Bowl. Man, it was uh, that was freaking awesome. And I think a lot of guys are, you know, we still talk about it to this day. We're still pissed off that Harbaugh blew that team up because I believe, we all believe, we could have won two to three more Super Bowls if he didn't get that team together. I mean, I certainly believe you guys were loaded that year. Um, I think you guys would have been perennial contenders um, for years oh, yeah. to come, too. You kind of mentioned Ray Lewis. I want to talk about the type of leader he is. Like, if you go look at his Instagram page, for example, it makes you want to run through a wall. So what kind of teammate was he, and how did that kind of rub off on you? Ray was a good teammate. Man. He was a good dude. Um, man, I, I can't say enough about him. But as I tell a lot of people, you know, Ray was – he was the cornerstone. He was the pillar for the Baltimore Ravens. I, I don't want – us to lose sight of that, right? Every other man was was just like that. I, and I'm being perfectly honest with you. Um, Ray set the tone. He set he, he set the tone. But you had Corey Redding. You had Haloti Nada. You had Terrell Suggs. You had Dominique Foxworth. You had A. A. Reed. You had Kerry Williams. Christian or uh, uh, Corey Graham. Uh, you know uh, Webby. You I mean, dude, like it was Marshall Yonda, Joe Flacco. You know what I mean? Like Anquan Bowden, th those dudes, they deserved as much credit for the success that was going on with, with the Baltimore Ravens. And I, and not to say to take anything away from Ray. Ray was a special player. Uh, but at the end of the day, I tell people all the time, we can't discredit the rest of that football team because that was a heck of a football team. And even for uh, Harbaugh, you put any head coach in that position, he was winning the Super Bowl with our football team. And I'm being honest with you. And and and, and that's not shade. That's not hating. I'm just telling you, we were that freaking good. Mm -hmm. I mean, respect. I think you guys were too. Um, <clears throat> so before I leave you, I know we're running out of time. 
we've kind of come into a time period in in our country where um, there's still racial injustice and there's kind of been more of a movement to try to fix that and try to make things better in our in our society today. Um, what are kind of your, what have been your feelings um, throughout the last month or so since the murder of George Floyd and um, the subsequent uh, protests and all the things that have happened since then? So D, it's, 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 it's crazy, man. And um, as I tell a lot of fans, as I tell a lot of people, um, I'm not I'm not one of the people that I jump out my seat when the first thing I hear is somebody scream racism. I'm not I'm not jumping. You know what I mean? I, I, I need to hear the situation out because a lot of times people react without knowing details, important details of, of what truly happened. Now, obviously, I've been a black man for 35 years. Uh, I, I have been. Um, I've been racially profiled. I've been stopped by the police. I have had people scared of me. I've had things, people said I've done things that I didn't do just off of the color of my skin. I've been followed in stores. Um, I've, I've been that, I've, you know, that, that's happened to me. So for, for, for people to, to, to think that those are lies, to think that that's not happening is crazy. Um, to think that systematic racism isn't happening. Um, I was just one of them dudes that made it out. Um, I was one of them dudes where I was able to, you know, I was blessed to be able to come up out of our situation and to make something of myself. Let me be honest with you. So being in the National Football League, bro, I was good for a lot of dads, a lot of moms, a lot of kids. But when I hit the real world, they didn't want nothing to do with me. Why? Because I can't entertain them how I did on Sunday, Thursday, Monday, Saturday. I couldn't entertain them. I'm not entertaining them. So they don't. It doesn't matter how much money I got. It doesn't matter if my money matches Joe Blow money. You know what I mean? They want Joe Blow. And I've been literally, it's been told they don't want a black person in this role. And so that's fine. You know, so to, to, to say that those things aren't happening is crazy. Just to see the murdering uh, from police officers to, uh, 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 you know, police officers killing uh, people of color it's hard. It's hard for me to see. Um, and, and, and look, I got a whole bunch of police officers, of, of friends that are police officers, white men that are my friends, that are police officers, that I, I support all laws, all, law, all law enforcement if you're doing it the right way. I understand it. I get it. You know, but I want, you know, I want people to understand, too, that there are crazy things that are happening. You know, I don't care what as far as George Floyd, uh, you know, it's, 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 if he's arguing or whatever, whatever it may be for him to his knee to be on that man's neck. And he's saying, I can't breathe. You know, obviously, like, bro, like you've got pull your pull your knee off his neck. If someone's saying I can't breathe, if you and I are playing and you go be I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I need to let up. Why? Not because I not because, you know, um, I, I, whatever. I just off of you telling me I can't breathe. I got to believe you whether or not you're lying. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, just seeing these things happen in our world, we've got to see policies change. We've got to see uh, laws change uh, because at, I, I just had an interview uh, a couple weeks ago and I said, in order to make change, we got to get you got we have to be allowed in the house. And it's a shame that I have to say we have to be allowed in the house when there are people of color who deserve and are qualified for certain positions, but aren't, aren't given those opportunities simply by the color of their skin. 
And so, you know, uh, once again, man, I, I think, you know, we, we, there's some positive things happening right now. I do not agree with uh, with the the, the, the the violent protesting, tearing things up. You ain't doing nothing. You know, if anything, you are you are that, that's a that's a distraction. You're distracting on what you know, that's a distraction on what the purpose is. So I do believe silent protests. We need to say something. I'm not against players that are kneeling at games. I don't think that they're kneeling against the flag. Would I kneel against the flag? No. Or would I kneel at games? I'm sorry. No, I wouldn't kneel at, at games. What would I do? I would I would communicate. The best thing that we have is to be able to articulate what's going on. So before games are or after a game is over and they put a microphone in front of my face. Hey, let me tell you about what's going on in, in my hood. Let me tell you about what's going on in the world before I answer any questions about football. I think some I think, you know, that will benefit players more than, you know, that's just the way I would do it. You know, and I can't like I said, I'm not coming down on, you know, them kneeling, protesting, silent protests. I'm not coming down on it because, like I said, there is an issue. There is there. There's racism out here. I just put a tweet out the other day. Somebody didn't like it. Said I was uh, the Jesse Smollett the, or whatever his name is. And then a Bubba Wallace. They call me all kind of names. That's fine. I'm, I don't need to, you know, answer that. You know, I'm not going to you give you the attention. But we have to understand that there is racism going on. But I love what I'm seeing, seeing people and hearing people speak up uh, for uh, a, a, a voice that's not being heard. That's been so awesome to me to be able to see and hear what's going on right now in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we're. I'm hoping that we're going in the right direction with all this. Um, it kind of it breaks my heart. My dad's also a police officer, so it's just like a really confusing time for me because I support the police, but then I see them do. Um, it's not all the police, obviously. I think it's a very small number, but I, right. mean, I don't know. It's just like the hate from both sides kind of kind of gets at me. But um, we're about out of time, so I'm gonna let you go. Um, thank you for being so candid, so energetic for this interview it really means a lot um and hopefully next time you come to purdue whenever that is i'll be there and i can i can meet you in person hey man appreciate you having me i had a great time bro yep for sure bernard paul everybody peace